Hello and welcome to this week's BossCast. I'm Andrew Teacher from Blackstock Consulting and I'm delighted to be joined today by Franz Habel, who is the head of international real assets for Elekta, which is Sweden's biggest pension fund. Franz, thank you for coming in. Thanks for coming all the way to London just to see us. It's, it's fantastic to see you. And uh, apologies I wasn't able to get to Stockholm to see you because w- I'd love to be back out in Sweden. Tell us a bit about your job, about your role. And for people that aren't familiar with Elector, you have you manage pensions for 2.6 million people. You manage corporate pensions for, for 2.5 million people in Sweden. But you invest quite broadly across the piece. You've got quite a, a large exposure to real estate and to infrastructure. And your job is to look after both of those areas, isn't it? Yeah, that's correct. And, and we, we view alternative investments and, and in particular real assets as very fundamental for managing uh, the pensions in, in a good way. And uh, and yeah, so, so so my team is looking after all non-Nordic real estate and infrastructure. And in terms of your allocation, it currently stands at about 12%, is, is that correct? Yeah, so we have about... 12% invested in, in real estate. And we have a target for alternative investments at 20%. So we, we have still some, some way to go. So, and we, we have been very active. Uh, going back five years, we were down at probably around 6% mm. in 16. So, and well, well, let's start with that. I mean, that, that's an interesting point because you effectively called the market back at the end of 2016. You called the market, you sold off pretty much all of your direct real estate investments in the US and in the UK. Was that a stroke of genius or was it a stroke of luck or, or was it a bit of both? Well, I, I think, honestly, I think it was a bit of both. Um, I, I, I think that the markets... Well, you make your own luck, right? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you may be. Yeah, so, so, so you can say that there was a view that we should be managing the real estate portfolio from our headquarters in Stockholm. Yeah, um, yeah. And then maybe the, the valuation of, of the assets at the time gave us the reason to take that decision mm. at that, that point. So you sold off uh, around £350 million pounds of assets in the States to Goldman Sachs? No, it was, um, no, it, it was about... Circa two billion in in the UK and the US. Okay, uh, so two billion combined to, to Blackstone and, and Goldman Sachs. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so, so, direct so, investments. Yeah, so a significant amount. And in terms of, I, I suppose the other thing that that you will be known for in the UK and and across Europe is your focus and your very progressive stance on on residential investment. What what English people call build to rent what the Americans call more multifamily and what everyone else in Europe just calls a rented apartment, right? Yeah. Um, we, we love, we love uh, nonsense acronyms in the UK, so forgive us for that. But, um, but you obviously have a huge exposure to that through a, a recent deal that you did uh, with Delancey and Get Living in Oxford. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but your involvement in that sector predates that by, by many years, doesn't it? Yeah, so, so I mean, I think our experience goes back probably... 10 years or something like that. And we started to invest in a little bit more scale, I'd say 12, 13 in Sweden. And we, we were kind of excited about the characteristics of, of the asset class. And, mm. and, and there were a number of lessons learned that made us you know, continue to believe that this, is, uh, this has to, is, is, is a sector for the future. And, and since then, we have just keep, kept investing. And... Uh, yeah. And, and and in terms of the the dynamics of the Swedish market, is it quite 
I'm assuming it's 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 quite straightforward, quite sober, not loads of thrills and not loads of of, of big amenities and big expansive glass swimming pools uh, across towers and things it's probably a bit more functional right well i mean i i think to start with we have a regulated uh, market in sweden which uh, g- gives the tenants a lot of you know predictability in terms of of their you know affordability yeah, effectively. yeah. Uh, and as a landlord you you get you you know that your tenants are unlikely to move out uh, because uh, what happens when rents are, let's say, under market rent is that you know if, there's a value in having it flat, effectively. Yeah. Uh, so, so it means that it 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 becomes a very stable product. Um, but you know, if you compare it to, for example, US, where rents are much higher, with low rents, you you can't really afford to have that amount much of amenities. Yeah. Yeah. So it's more about that, I think. Yeah. And and, and what were some of the things that that you've learned through those investments and through those operating relationships that you've had in that space because again this is something that western europe is now catching up to we're now realizing as a sector that much more of the market has to be operationalized and the market's turning from being a, 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 an investment market to one driven by income yeah no, so, so what happened we we both invested in jvs and yeah. also you can say directly let's had an outsourced property management model and we saw that the way to maximize performance was to, you know, create a platform. You know, you get scale benefits, you get, um, you get um, size benefits, and and I think you, you're better at uh, understanding the the tenants, uh, you know, needs and, and and create something that is that is attractive. And also, I think towards the the not least the financial markets, that's that's very beneficial. So we we could actually compare. Um, you know different ways of managing real, uh, residential, uh, and we ended up realizing that the, the way forward is is platforms, and that's why we ended up investing in a small number of platforms that we mm. believe a lot in. Do you see that as the future of institutional investment in this space? Is it all about having specialist partners with those 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 very focused, laser focused expertise, uh, or? Do you see a a point where we're going to return to large discretionary funds that can pick and mix what they do? I, I think that um, managing residential is is both, let's say, hard factors and and you know a lot of data analysis and you know understanding the asset back and forth, but also a lot about you know meeting the tenant, uh, you know talking their language, you know being viewed as a responsible landlord and so on, and I think. In order to create both of those things, you need you need a long term organization, yeah. and 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 you know having a it's nothing you do with your left hand so to speak, it's much more uh, much more complex than and it looks like at first sight. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, let's talk about your your investment in Heimstaden, which is one of the biggest deals ever in the commercial real estate arena. Tell us about that. So what, what's your exposure there? What is the ambition? What's the strategy that underpins that? I think that you, you can look at, at, at the European residential market uh, and, and what you will find is you will find a market that is extremely fragmented. I think there are probably around 80 million units, flats. And, and, and although we are now the largest private landlord, we, we only... 
own about uh, something like 0.2% of the market, something. So what is uh, that? I mean, what's that in terms of asset value and no, volume? So, yeah, so following the Kielus acquisition, we are uh, north of 30 billion uh, euros in, in GAB asset value. But but still, we are, I mean, compared to other industries, we are very, despite being the largest private owner, there are listed owners that are bigger, having said that. But it's still it, it, it's still much more room to, room to go. We see clear scale benefits. Mm. So we think it's very logical for a vehicle like Heimstallen to keep growing. Yeah. And so you've got you've got four billion euros in that. So so our our, our invested equity uh, is a little bit more than four billion euros. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's, that's that's considerably more than you know, pretty much any player in the UK market. I mean, it's roughly twice the size of Granger. So it's to give give people an idea of that scale, it's considerable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and I think the UK market uh, is is has huge potential, but it's. It lacks, you know, larger platforms, and and I think increasing a number of of, mm. of investors in the market. Uh, well, have we got to capacity that. though? Do we have capacity for larger platforms in the in the UK market? Where are they going to go? What are they going to manage? Uh, well, I mean, I mean, look look at it from from a demand point of view. I think, yeah. What does it take for someone uh, to save to to your first deposit? This is like fifteen or twenty years or something like that for yeah. a first time buyer. I mean. Well, you're right. So demand, it, demand it, it, is only going in one direction. I, I think that I think that I, I don't see an end to the demand, and and um, I, I can it's only going in one direction actually. Yeah. So uh, and and I guess that brings us on then to your to your your you joining the party with with APG with Delancey Oxford um, in their joint venture in, in UK build to rent, and that was that was a deal that you you came into, um, well, just before the pandemic actually. <laughs> So, yeah, um, that must have been an interesting timing. Yeah, no, so exactly. I think we uh, at that time Heimstaden hadn't entered the UK market, and uh, we were quite excited at Elect about the potential for for the market to, you know, mature uh, and being a first mover in that that game. And that uh, so when we were seeing this opportunity, uh, we 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 quickly realized that there's something we need to look closer at because. We had, you know, a combination of very, very established, well-reputed investors, you know, very strong management and uh, a platform in place as well, Get Living, in combination with a seeded portfolio mm. that is... And Get know, Living obviously has exposure to, to many different geographies, right? In the yeah, I mean, I mean, Get Living, I mean, it, again, it, it's a platform with staff, with the culture, uh, with, with the know-how, you know, how to uh, manage buildings, take look after tenants, work mm. with these students. And to be clear, you've invested at a platform level rather than specifically in assets. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that is, that, yeah, I mean, given the size of all these investments and if you, that's how how how, it, how you do it effectively. Yeah, so you in that, yeah. in, in you invested about what, 250 million? Yeah, we committed that, uh, yeah. And that's, yeah, that's in pounds. So, yeah, interesting stuff. So, um, and, and, and I think many people listening to this are going to be interested in where you see the market going next because many people i mean us as a, as a business as well we, you know we've been we've been singing this uh, this hymn for many years about the growth of the institutional residential space um mm. what do you think it's going to take for the uk market to be able to absorb more institutional capital as i said i i i think 
I guess that that some investors and institutional capital sources struggle to find the format of investing. And I think once you have a few open and or structures that are open for more capital, that will help. And I think that is happening, uh, but there is plenty of room for growth here. Yeah, yeah. And do you look at do you look at the UK government? approach to housing and, and see that as a risk in the way that English people are very obsessed by ownership. You guys uh, and many other parts of Europe, you, you know, you tend to have a more relaxed and more pragmatic view on renting. But in England, we tend to see it as a bit of a social failure if you don't own a house. Well, I mean, I guess you go through stages of your life. I mean, I, 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 I although maybe that is something that is not going to change overnight, on the other hand, if if you can't, you know, attract talent to the largest cities because they can't find mm. find a place to live, then then you 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 know fail you fail in in another end of, of the mm. of the spectrum, so to speak. So I think I, I think you can have both actually. Mm. And, well, and that was one of the reasons why one of your biggest companies, Spotify, came elsewhere because yeah. they they were struggling with housing in Stockholm. Yeah, no, exactly. I think ma- many large corporates are. Absolutely taking housing into the equation. Uh, I mean, even in the UK, I mean, you you hear about large corporates that are actually not thinking about establishing their headquarters in London because they they don't think they will find um, uh, housing for their staff. So mm. um, you hear about this, and and, and that might uh, you know benefit the regional cities to some extent. So, but I think you know every city needs to look at this uh, very. Seriously, because uh, you know, you 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 need you need a young generation to to be able to you know grow businesses and and you know create uh, you know d- develop the cities. So I think mm. that is instrumental. And I mean, let's move on from residential. I mean, the other hot topic that we're discussing a lot in the UK at the minute is life sciences. Um, now, obviously, there's clearly been uh, nothing else in the news over the last two years. Um, but the the emergence of life sciences real estate as an institutional asset class as something that large investors want to have exposure to that that's been amplified very much over the last year um, and at the end of 2020 Electra invested considerably in that space you invested 780 million dollars in US healthcare and life science real estate. Can you talk us through that deal? So you you invested in Blackstone Biomed's fund mm. uh, in the states, uh, and, and what was the rationale? What was the, the 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 strategy for you there? Yeah, no. So so we we have been looking at life science, and and we have had some exposures to a couple of funds historically. Why it's interesting is because if you look at long term trends, there seem to be an endless uh, increase in headcount in the going into life science industries mm. and yeah there seem to be every year new records for how much capital that are raised and and companies are out recruiting and they need space so uh and it seems like this sort of uh, capacity to pay good rounds are also good and 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 i think the real estate per se is is to some extent much more both resilient uh, than normal office buildings. The drivers for the tenants are very different from the drivers of the general economy. Yeah. Uh, but also, I think the locations are 
typically very unique and, and crucial for the operations so that if they are near nearby where in a, in a cluster of life science buildings near university uh, there's no way that's gonna change yeah, uh, yeah. so it's kind of if you're invested you are you are invested so to speak whereas like an office there could be um you know from one decade to another there can be like uh, trends in uh, now you want to have your office in uh, Liverpool Street Station or in, in Paddington or whatever. Here yeah. is kind of it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and in terms of in terms of life sciences, real estate across Europe, the sector across Europe is far more fragmented than the states. There's less scale. There are yeah. less. There's certainly a lot less VC money going into life science businesses in Europe, and and that's to some degree, a bit of a barrier to growth on the property side. What do you see as a as a large institutional investor in from a European perspective there? Yeah, no, I, I think that is a very, very valid point. And, and it's, uh, I, I think that, so for example, we, we would be very keen to invest more into European life science, but we haven't really found you know, way of doing it in in, in the way we want, want yeah. to. So outside the the UK, there aren't very many locations with enough scale. But I think, on the other hand, ten years from now there will be certainly be because I think there is so much capital going into developing mm. new sites right now. Yeah, and then of course you need to, you know, become comfortable that you're actually going for the right locations in in that in that sort of overall picture. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 far more it's it's to some extent a little bit more tricky than maybe investing in U.S. life science. I mean, you you it's hard to get wrong if you go, you know. Mm. It's always you can always go wrong, but but for example, the Boston or San Diego, or, uh, that's where the markets are, are typically very very robust. Yeah, and also Biomed Realty has an absolute world leading platform that manages everything within it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but but we are not necessarily only investing through that vehicle. But but yeah, definitely. I mean, they they are the largest uh, private uh, life science company in the world. So yeah, yeah. And and in terms of, um, I, I guess, in terms of other other elements and other considerations that you have as a municipal pension fund, how are you responding to demands around ESG? How are you responding to everything that we've seen uh, that we saw at cop 26 last month uh, and and what does that what's that going mm. to change about the way that you do business um the way the way i would say this is that i i don't think ESG is really something you do because someone tells you to do it i think it's such a strong global phenomenon which you need to uh, understand as well as you need to understand yeah other you know uh, megatrends and and i think what we're seeing now is and we can still speculate but i think we have a lot of clear indications that they're going to be too tired market for green buildings versus brown buildings yeah and and i think you don't want to be behind there because uh, then you might end up with uh, with an empty building and uh, and and how are you equating for that risk, in terms of the the risk of being exposed to stranded assets, when when you're mm. when you're, you're sat in front of your risk committee and mm. they're saying what is our exposure to stuff that we might not be able to rent or sell, yeah. how do you answer that question? Well, I think 
so so we invest so so part of our due diligence is of course to undertake an ESG analysis and second opinion on their work um, and and then also we have to you know monitor that regularly what i think still is is tricky is that maybe the transparency is not always as 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 good as you would have hoped for yeah and and especially for maybe the let's say non traditional real estate types uh, such as for office and, and residential maybe it's it's uh, it's more data to some mm. extent but uh, but I think I, I my, my personal view and, and consideration here is how green does the building need to be for a corp you know a large blue blue ship company in order for them to to lease space in let's say five years time I mean I think you need to have an answer to that and yeah. be prepared for that. And it, and, it, and it's not only about an office building, it's about logistic building, it's about any building effectively. Mm. There is a risk that significant part of the stock could be potentially considered obsolete at some point. Yeah. And, and what, um, what do you think is going to change in the industry then over the next five years? What are, what are going to be the big things that you're going to have to mm. respond to in terms of allocation of capital in terms of of driving different i guess driving different behaviors from your partners and yeah. and and equally different things that you might end up investing in well i think uh, first of all you need to make sure that they are they know what they own and that they have a clear methodology to you know man- measure benchmark uh, understand uh, the climate impact and, and other ESG aspects i think you know, have a have a clear business plan for, you know, transitioning assets. Uh, do what they can. I don't think really you have a choice to not do anything here, because uh, if you mm. do nothing, you will definitely end up as a loser. Uh, so either you you know do something now. You, you have to do something now, and I think that's something we need to look after. That things are happening. Yeah, yeah. But I think generally, as a developer of assets, you need to be on top of the game in the whole net zero regime of developing buildings you know looking at uh, you know embodied carbon and, and operational carbon and all these you know subset of measurement points data points making sure that you understand that and implement it in full mm. and in terms of i guess in terms of other organizations mm. other investors in different countries who, who do you think's moving the game forward who do you think's really kicking it out of the park you mean in terms of ESG or? yeah in terms of real estate in terms of ESG in terms of just you know people doing interesting mm. things that you mm. think wow that's that's pretty cool uh, yeah I mean I, I, to be honest with you I think we try to find themes that we believe are you know gonna perform well over time and then find partners within mm. those themes you know but is there a strategy that so you I wish think you were we, part we, of you mean I'm, I'm humble to say that I you know by, by speaking to our managers I learn things every day. And I think it's not like from one source. I think it's about being humble and, and asking a lot of questions. And really, it's everything together. And, and, and I'm very interested to understand how, how players that of Alekta size or, or larger than us, how they tackle certain of these issues. So I think we, we try to set up meetings and, and, and you know, speak to all sorts of, of peers, effectively. But but at the same time, I I think it's equally important to build your own strategy within your team and your create your own investment process, 
where you actually also make sure you continuously learn from um, your mistakes and, and improve your process over time. And that's, that's, you can never do that by looking at other people. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, let, let's go back to residential again mm. and, and, and talk a little bit about, um, again, the investment in Heimstad and, and, and the, the, the Achilles portfolio. Mm. So that, that operates now in, in, in a number of different countries, doesn't it? So you've got exposure to, 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 to Germany, to the Netherlands, uh, Czech Republic, Finland as well. Um, and how mm. can you maybe give us an overview about how those different markets uh, what are some of the nuances that, that come across between those different markets? Well, I mean, I, I think that there is, for example, a difference between a regular market and, and a market. Uh, yeah, so Holland and, and so, Germany are, so are obviously quite heavily regulated. They're they? heavily, Sweden are heavily regulated. Uh, so Norway uh, is not, uh, Denmark has a bit of both, uh, UK is not, and so forth. Uh, Poland is, is not. So, so it's... Uh, and nor is Czech Republic. Uh, so, so I think it, it's uh, different challenges uh, depending on the market. But what, what you can say, I mean, if during the COVID, it was clear that the regular markets performed really well. So, uh, and the portfolio performed really well. So, for example, because of this stability, it's not that much to report. I mean, mm. <laughs> the, the occupancy are like uh, 98%, something like that. So, you know, it's... Um, Small differences from quarter to quarter. Yeah, uh, and I guess so. Looking forward, then, in terms of your your current portfolio, so you're you're nearly ninety percent exposed to residential healthcare and logistics, which is that golden triangle of of bed sheds and meds, as as we like to talk about in the UK. And presumably, that's going to be a, a safe space that you're going to continue to occupy for the time being. Yeah, no. So I think for the time being, yes. But I mean, we we have no rule saying that this is forever. As long as we find that that logical, we will do it. I think what we may see, we may do a little bit more uh, green and green office buildings, uh, mm. for example, because we think that is an interesting strategy. And that will right be a, a value, a capital value play or an, an income play. What what's the what's the play? So there? yeah, well, it's it's actually both. I would say I, I think that you you can do that as a capital value play, but there is likely to be an undersupplied market for for many many years ahead so typically that means uh, long-term rental game as well yeah yeah and obviously we've i mean you're 60 yeah. so and i think generally we, we don't our strategy generally is not to you know develop and sell so we we we, we don't mind develop to hold so to speak but, but which is presuming that's why i'm assuming you're comfortable with with the relatively low yields that come with residential because you've got you've got lots of it and you'll hold it for a long time yeah i mean i think the, the residential return dynamics is, is is sometimes a little bit tricky to understand unless you understand how how you know for example what kind of financing you achieve and so forth mm. as, as a large but where you've been really strong is is on that is on structuring yeah. the finance and on really squeezing all of the the excess cost out of the operational platforms is that, is that yeah fair? well i mean i think i mean you you the, the financial markets are are very beneficial for in the bond markets for for especially for regulated residential yeah, well, guess what you're, so, yeah, so you're i think swedish pension funds you'll well, pay slightly less well, than, well i think that even, <laughs> than, than even if even if yields are low i think you need to take into account that yeah even for, yields are low when when they're regulated markets and then typically rents are low 
and typically mm. rents are are producing a real uh, real rental growth over time. But you've still but you've still got to operate the assets, right? That's the thing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, let yeah. me ask you this, Franz. So yeah. what for 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 companies that are now building up their own operational platforms mm. Mm. what advice can you give them about managing down cost what advice can you give them about driving operational efficiency uh well i mean that, that is they're probably it's not necessarily my expertise to to give specific advice on that but i think again i think we have seen you know th- th- there is a size game and, and and you need scale you need ben- good benchmarks mm. uh and so on and 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 I think also like there's a lot of there's a lot about you know uh, optimizing your your vacancy by you know have, have a very focused moving in moving out process and stuff yeah, like so, that. So, so, so streamlining all the streamlining customers, streamlining you know the customer experience, optimizing the customer experience, optimizing the yeah. the, the vacancy and, yeah, and all yeah. that. But yeah, I mean, I mean it, 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 it's it, you, it, it's a whole different discussion. I think so. So, so I mean, so, so fine. Yeah. I mean, let, let's kind of let's mm. start to wrap things up now. But I mean, how mm. are you looking at when you're looking at, at demographics mm. now, and you're working with your research team to think mm. about where things are going to go over the next five or six years? Yeah. What What are those data points telling you about about the world, about cities, about infrastructure, about real estate demand? Yeah, no. So, so I think that. I mean infrastructure. We haven't talked about the infrastructure much here, but I think well, let's, let's there, there, is, there is there is there is a. I mean, there is no doubt that the world needs renewables. Uh, there is no doubt that it's going to be absolutely, and that's that's going to go on for 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 many years ahead. And I think also that the real estate industry needs renewables because it will need the green electricity. So, for example, a data center without green electricity could become stranded i think uh so there is so much here that you need uh, but then also i think the, the whole life science boom will continue i think we we, we are we, we keep keep believing a lot in in the in a medical office space for example mm. with the aging population uh, i think the logistics space is interesting in europe for example and 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 rents are still arguably low uh, even though yields are low as well but i think yeah as long yeah. as and solo, it's still interesting. So, um, yeah, and and, and and I think the green, you know, developing green buildings, uh, all sorts of real estate is is a very interesting uh, play. And and from an infrastructure investment, green energy is something that that you focused on, isn't it, as an investor? Yeah, it, definitely. Um, it, yeah, we we have, and and yeah, it's again, it's back to something being undersupplied. Something being required, it's absolutely necessary for for the planet to do mm. it. So, so that was choice. and that was so that was a, uh, earlier in in twenty twenty one. You invested in in Stina Renewable. Uh, yeah, and we also invested in uh, Copenhagen Infrastructure Partners, their uh, renewables uh, strategy. Yeah. So, so I think we we have done that as well. And and what are those and what do those businesses do? What problems are they solving? Um, I mean. So, so Stena is, is a Swedish company and, um, you know, developing and owning and managing uh, onshore wind in Sweden, South Sweden. So you, you can say it's, it's a market that we, we need, we need that to meet our, you know, Paris agreement. And, and, and we also, we need that because there are relatively high prices on electricity because uh, yeah. there's a supply issue. Yeah. So, it, so it's very simple. I mean, it's, you build something that is needed. 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's a fair point. Um, so, I mean, and, and from your own perspective, what's the most exciting things on your desk as we head into 2022? What are the things that, that you're looking to achieve in the new year and, and to get to get going on, to get stuck into? Well, I think, so So we, we are continuing to do similar things. Uh, and again, I think that that is going to be more... So sticking with your convictions. Sticking with our convictions. And uh, yeah, it's nothing really new. But I think we are continuously trying to understand how ESG can either make an argument to change anything in our strategy or change any view on our existing holdings. And I think, mm. because I think that's, that's where the risks are. Yeah. So, yeah. so it, it, it's, um, I, I, I think that it, it, um, it may sound very kind of, uh, laid back to say, but I think, uh, right now I think portfolio is doing well and, and uh, we, we don't want to change it unless we have arguments too so yeah well it makes a lot of sense i mean look well one one final question franz it'd be ridiculous to have uh, a swedish investment brain in the house without asking about the new abba record of course Uh, (laughs) arguably uh (laughs) arguably a a much greater part of the uh of the swedish economy is abba than anything in real assets but uh um i mean and and, uh so where where do you stand on that where give me give me your give me your investment thesis on on abba 40 years on is, 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 is um a... well i i'm not convinced but but uh well i mean i think it's fun that they actually do it because it shows how passionate they seem to be about it but yeah it was a little bit surprising i think <laughs> well, well i mean it's good I mean, but interesting to know i mean i think you know many many english people that you know, we, we in england we think uh you know, we think all of our housing is owned by by English pensioners, but obviously uh, uh, an increasing amount of it is owned by Swedish pensioners. So thank you. Uh, thank you so much for, for coming and chatting to us today. Franz Heibel from, uh, from from Electa. And and great to see you. Lovely to meet you. And thanks for, for sharing your insight with us uh, on, on Bosscast. Do, uh, do continue to subscribe. Uh, subscribe by searching Propcast on Apple, on Spotify. Please do keep checking propertyweek.com for latest news and insights Uh, and if you've got any suggestions for future guests or you'd like to get involved yourself do drop me an email Um, thanks a lot for listening i've been andrew teacher i'm the founder at blackstock consulting and we'll see you again soon thanks a lot bye-bye